0: Good morning. I love that Jim's praying for wisdom. I counted about five times that you mentioned wisdom. And that's great because we're going to talk about wisdom in our time together in the scriptures. You have a handout that says something like, something about convenience at the top, right? We're not going to do that. We just put that up there so you'd have something to see as you walked in. No, I actually realized after I had shared that title and text with Lisa that I taught on that very subject like two years ago. And I thought, well, probably let's do something different. First Kings has got plenty of content, and so I thought we would do something on the life of Solomon as it related to wisdom, particularly the fact that wisdom isn't enough. Wisdom isn't enough. Turn with me, if you would, to first Kings chapter three. First Kings three. A lot of characters in the Bible have certain qualities that stand out. We think about we even coin phrases that are like the patience of Job. It's sort of funny when you look at read Job, you don't see the man having a lot of patience, but we, we call it patience of Job or the strength of Samson. And you look at Samson and you think, well, he had strength some places and some places he was really pretty weak. And the wisdom of Solomon, well, no doubt Solomon had great wisdom, and yet how did the wisest man in the world end up blowing it so badly? And if Solomon, if wisdom wasn't enough for Solomon, then what in the world do we need in order to walk with God and not blow it like like Solomon did? Solomon was the son of David and Bathsheba after they were married. And Solomon's name means peaceable. He was also named Jedidiah, which means loved of the Lord. And when we look at uh, Solomon's life, we see a man who literally wrote the book on wisdom Proverbs, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes. He even did a psalm. But Uh, Ultimately, Solomon's divided heart divided his nation, and they were exported, the nation was exported or exiled into uh, a foreign land because ultimately what what happened in Solomon's life. And we often point Solomon's um, compromise to his wives, Solomon's wives let his heart astray, which is true, but there was an element that went deeper. And I want us to look at that, that deeper element because that element is potential in our lives as well. And our awareness of it can give us victory in those moments with, that uh, ultimately took Solomon in the wrong direction. First Kings 3, let's start right in verse 1. Then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places." Um, so here you, have, here you have Solomon who clearly loved God, we're told, but there was an exception. And the exception was that he burned incense and he worshiped the true God on high places. What are high places? High places are literally high places. They're hilltops. The thought was with the Canaanites, and when, they moved, when the Israelites moved into the land, the Canaanites would worship their false gods on hilltops. The thought is the higher you are, the closer you are to your God. And the Israelites sort of adopted this mindset of, of worshiping the true God on hills. The problem was that God told his people back in Deuteronomy, you should only worship where I tell you not just any and everywhere, you only worship where I tell you. And initially that was in Gibeon, and once, once Gibeon was sacked, it was Jerusalem. But here we have Solomon, Solomon's example leading his people also to sacrifice on various high places. Well, this was an exception to Solomon's pure devotion to the Lord, and yet God was still amazingly gracious to Solomon. Look at verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And Gibeon the Lord said to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David my father, "'According as he walked before you in truth and righteousness "'and uprightness of heart toward you. "'And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness "'that you have given him a son to sit on his throne "'as it is this day. "'Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king "'in place of my father David. "'Yet I am but a little child. "'I do not know how to go out or come in. "'Your servant is in the midst of your people "'which you have chosen.' a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, "'Because you have asked this thing "'and have not asked for yourself long life, "'nor have asked riches for yourself,' Nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor so that there will not be any among the kings like you in all your days. Wow, what a deal. This is better than Aladdin's lamp, isn't it? God comes to Solomon and says, you name it, you got it. What would you like? What would you ask for God? Solomon's most defining moment, one of the great moments in his life He had the courage to realize, I don't have what it takes. I need wisdom. I have the the incredible privilege of following the great King David, uh, and I don't have what it takes. I am young. I don't know how to go out or come in. In other words, I don't know how to do this job, Lord. You have given me the, the job to be king over your people, but I need wisdom. I need discernment. I want to do it right. Help me. And God tells him, because you've asked for this, and you've not asked for something selfish, in other words, he says, you haven't asked for yourself this or yourself that, I'm going to give you exactly what you've asked. Not only are you going to be wise, but you are going to be the wisest. You are going to be the wisest king. No one before you is ever going to be this wise. No one after you is ever going to be this wise. You were going to top them all, Solomon. And then, and then to boot, the Lord says, oh, well, and I'll also make you rich. What an amazing scene this was. And the irony is that here we have Solomon at a high place when God, um, when God came to him. You can go to Israel today and stand on a hill called Nebi Samuel. It's a very high hill. It's the hill that the Crusaders made it to, made it that far at the First Crusade, they made it to Nebu Samuel and they could see Jerusalem. It's called Mount Glory. They called it Mount Glory. Today, there's a Jewish synagogue on it. There's also a former mosque and it kind of goes back and forth. But at the top, there's this beautiful balcony that allows you to look off into the, the plateau of Benjamin, this beautiful flat tableland that was the envy of the Old Testament histories. And right below you, from Nebuchadnezzar. Samuel, is the hill of Gibeon. Gibeon had an interesting history. If you just think back through your Old Testament, even before this point, Gibeon has shown itself in the in the Scripture. It first showed itself when Joshua came into the land. You remember, it was the people of Gibeon that faked Joshua out. They came to Joshua, and, and they realized, wow, Joshua's conquering everybody. He's going to conquer us, too. So they put on old clothes, and they put on old sandals, and they found old moldy bread, and they went to Joshua and said, we've come from a long way away, and we want, to, you know, we, we, don't, we want to have a peace treaty with you. And Joshua says, well, what if you're here in the land? He says, oh, no, no, we're not. No, look at our bread. And Joshua was more convinced by what he saw, and, in fact, the text even says that, that they did not inquire of the Lord. So he made a treaty with them, and he shouldn't have. He should have clobbered them. But he didn't, and that ended up being a a compromise. Gibeon was a place of compromise. It was a place where the the right thing was known, but it wasn't followed. Not long after that, in the time of David, just before David became king, you had uh, two different armies that sat by the pool of Gibeon. The army of David's men and the army of those from the time of Saul, and they were bored, as men without direction can be, what shall we do? Hey, let's have a couple of the guys get up and fight. Well, a couple of guys turned into a a barroom fight, and it ended up being a terrible event where a lot of people were killed. That was at Gibeon. And now you have Solomon at Gibeon, and he knows the right thing to do. God gives him wisdom. And notice what God tells him, though. And the verb tense I tried to emphasize as I was reading it because it's very pertinent. God says, I have given you, I have already given you, verse 12, a wise and discerning heart. In other words, it's done. You are that man now. Solomon wakes up, the wisest man in the world, and we won't read the text, but the text goes on after this to give an example of how Solomon didn't have to learn this wisdom he had it. God gave it to him. Immediately, he makes this judgment that, in, that uh, required incredible wisdom in verses uh, 16 through 28. So, but right after this, notice in verse 13, he says, I've given you wisdom, I've given you uh, wealth. But now notice verse four, 14. God continues and tells Solomon, If you walk in my ways... Keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Boy, that is so important. What's important about that is the first principle that we can draw from our text, and it's by simple observation from the text. God has told Solomon, You are wise. Now, verse 14, if you walk in my ways, it'll be good for you. And here's the principle. God sees a difference between a wise heart and an obedient one. Wisdom isn't enough. God sees a difference between a wise heart and an obedient one. God told him, I have given you wisdom. Then he says, now if you'll walk in my ways, then I will prolong your days. It takes more than wisdom, it takes an obedient heart. A.W. Tozier said this, The devil is a better theologian than any of us, but he's still a devil. Oswald Chambers said this, Never try to explain God until you have obeyed him. The only bit of God that we understand is the bit we have obeyed. Very insightful. Solomon starts off, great. He asks for wisdom. God says, that's great, Solomon. You got it. Now, here's something I won't give you. You're going to have to choose. Obey. Match wisdom with obedience. Does he do it? Well, let's look. Turn to next couple of chapters over, 1 Kings chapter 6. 1 Kings chapter 6. God comes to Solomon at key points of vulnerability in his life. We know Solomon was vulnerable, what we just read in chapter 3, because Solomon admits it himself. I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help. And God says, I'll give it to you. You're now the wisest man. You've got the tools you need, but now you need to choose to obey. That was a point of vulnerability. God comes to him now in chapter 6 at another point of vulnerability. Look down in verse 11. 1 Kings 6:11. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this house which you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and execute my ordinances and keep all my commandments by walking in them, then I will carry out my word with you, which I spoke to David your father. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. The house that he's referring to here is the temple of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that the Lord says concerning the house that you are building, if you will walk in my ways? That seems like we're talking about two different things. Solomon's building the house and now God changes the subject and says, now let's talk about you again, Solomon. Solomon. And yet it really isn't two different things. What did God mean when he talked about concerning this house, if you will obey? God had something to say about Solomon's project, about Solomon's work. Don't let this excellent house, or if we want to turn a principle into it, don't let your excellent service or your work for me, this project that you're doing, replace your walk with me you still need to walk with me personally. If you will walk in my statutes, then I will dwell among the sons of Israel. This temple and all its beauty cannot substitute for our personal relationship. God's word clearly reminds us that we have a tendency to forget God. I love it that God came to Solomon at points of vulnerability And if we'll be sensitive, he'll do the same thing in our lives. We will be at very vulnerable moments, and we can almost feel a tap on our shoulder as the Holy Spirit uh, brings a verse to mind, or we we hear something on the radio, or we uh, hear a casual reference by somebody, by a complete stranger, and then there's encouragement. This is what God was doing in Solomon's life. Both, both of Israel's greatest kings, David and Solomon, committed their greatest acts of unfaithfulness at the height of their prosperity. It was a very vulnerable time. That's why God came to Solomon and said, great house, I'll love it. Now, make sure you're walking with me. That was the point. When somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, when somebody realizes that, that God is holy and that God requires us to be holy like him, and yet we aren't, and yet we, we realize that Jesus died on the cross to pay for those sins, and by faith in him our sins are forgiven, that gives us incredible fuel and passion to serve him. The challenge is, you know, life gets kind of boring sometimes, and we want to spice it up and often that requires, we think, in our mind to walk outside of God's will. A paradox can begin happening. Even when we try to serve the Lord, we can do more and more and more for God and do less and less with God. And we substitute activity for relationship. You ever struggle with that? To do a lot of stuff for God, but not so much with him? That's a big challenge for those of us who want to serve God. God gave Solomon a couple of reminders. The first one was there's no substitute for wisdom, and the second is there's no substitute, uh, don't substitute activity for relationship. Wisdom doesn't replace relationship. Activity doesn't replace relationship. So, had Solomon listened? Well, let's look and see. Turn a few more chapters to chapter 9, 1 Kings 9. The plot thickens. First Kings nine, right in verse one. It came about when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that Solomon desired to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. Notice what made this a vulnerable time for Solomon. Solomon did everything he wanted. When you read Ecclesiastes, you see that Solomon chased pretty much every rabbit that ran across his path. He tried everything. Solomon had done everything that he wanted to do. There was nothing left for Solomon to do, and God came to him. It was a point of vulnerability. And the fact that he mentions here, just as he appeared to him at Gibeon, makes us want to think back, what was the conversation at Gibeon, where God told Solomon, Wisdom isn't enough. You've got to be faithful. You've got to walk with me. Notice what God said to him, verse 3. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built by putting my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Well, it may be a bit of a, uh, uh, what do you call it when you give away the plot Spoiler spoiler alert, well, we know Solomon didn't, didn't walk with God ultimately, that his heart was divided and ultimately he began worshiping other gods. And as a result, these multiple promises that God had given to Solomon, God said, fine, then you don't get to be part of, of the lineage. Interesting, God's promise to David was unconditional. But Solomon's participation in that was conditional. If you read through Matthew's account of the genealogy of Jesus and through Luke's account of the genealogy of Jesus, you see two different lines. One is a legal line that leads to Jesus that goes through Solomon, but one is a physical line uh, that goes through Mary to Jesus that Solomon was not in. It was David's other son, Nathan, that was that line. So we see that Solomon, though legally, was the, uh, in, in, the, in the kingship or the line of the Messiah. Physically, he did not have that privilege. God took that away because Solomon didn't walk with him. But notice God brings it all back to the person of Solomon. As for you, great temple, great kingdom. But your walk with me, Solomon, is on thin ice. Don't walk away. Walk with me wholeheartedly. A vulnerable point. And the vulnerable point was Solomon didn't have anything else, no other projects to do. I've done everything I want to do. And it was a vulnerable point. And that's a great principle. You always want to have something else that you're doing for God. You never want to get to the point and say, you know what, I think I've done enough. Uh, I've really done enough. Look at all the trophies on my shelf. Look at all the things that I've done. Um, I could tell you some great stories about yesteryear. Yeah, tell me what's happening now. That's what needs to be your passion. Not yesterday, not all the years that you've walked with Christ, but what's happening right now. A passion, a project, something that you're doing for Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to be something grand and big. Remember in the parable of the talents, God gave so many talents, just a few talents, uh, one talent to one guy, I think it was like two talents to another, and then five to another. Well, they all got the same commendation, those who were faithful with what they had given. Be it a lot or a little, the amount doesn't matter. What matters is the heart behind it. Um, The Apostle Paul is a great example with this. In the New Testament, Paul says, this one thing I do, I want to know Jesus Christ. He had a goal. There was a goal of relationship, but there was also a goal of projects. Look at the Apostle Paul. When he wrote Romans, at the end of Romans, he said, you know what, I want to come to Rome, which was an audacious goal in and of itself, but then he says, and once I'm done with that, I want to go to Spain. I want to go to the farthest reaches of the Roman Empire. Paul says, never. Uh, Paul always had something in the hopper for God's glory, and we need to as well. Solomon didn't. Solomon had done all he desired to do, and it was a vulnerable point, and God came to him. Uh, not long ago, I read about a man who stopped at an ATM up in Minnesota. It must have been a cold day because the well, – I guess most days are cold up in Minnesota <laughs> – but he went to the ATM to get $20, and he put in his pen, put in his card, put in his pen, out comes the $20, and then another $20, and then another 20 and money just kept flying out like he said, it was like I won the lottery. And money just kept flying out of that thing, and he's standing there, and you can't catch it fast enough. And by the time he was done, the machine had given him well over $5,000. He's standing there with all this cash, and he just kind of said he looked around, and he thought briefly what he could do with all that money. (laughs) But then, I love this, he said, but he also thought about the consequences, and he turned it in. I love that. I love that because that is a great example, and unfortunately, it's not Solomon's. Solomon never asked for great wealth. God gave him great wealth. How could Solomon have avoided letting that get out of hand? It was a stumbling block to Solomon, the wealth was, on one, on one hand. Look at the very next chapter, and we'll see this. Solomon is such a, uh, a tragic tale. He did so many great things, but you see a divided heart. You see his great wisdom of using the geography of Israel in chapter 9 where he fortifies in verse 15 these key places along the highway, the international highway that ran through Israel to where he basically controlled all traffic and trade that came through Israel and influenced them potentially for God. We see that with the Queen of Sheba coming in the very next chapter. All the nations of the world were coming to Solomon to hear his wisdom and he shared with them about God. In fact, look at uh, chapter 10, verse 24. All the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. This was what God wanted Solomon to do. But right along with this were the compromises at the end of that chapter. Look just a couple of verses after that, verse 27. The king made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem, and he made cedars as plentiful as sycamore trees that are in the lowland, Also Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kew, and the king's merchants procured them from Kew for a price. Now why would the author of First Kings mention this? Because these are the things, the very things, that the book of Deuteronomy mentioned that the king should not do. You don't have to turn there, but you probably have it in your margin I hope you do, if not, jot in your margin Deuteronomy 17:16 and 17, and I'll read it to you. This is what it says. Moreover, the king shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver or gold for himself. Deuteronomy seventeen sixteen and 17, and here you have at the end of 1 Kings 10, these very things mentioned. Notice how chapter 11 begins. Chapter break is uh, not part of the original, so this is all one context, obviously. But chapter 11, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after other gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. There was one little boy who was asked, to describe King Solomon, and King Sol- he said, King Solomon had 700 wives and 300 porcupines. <laughs> I love that because he's wrong, but he's right, wasn't he? They needled Solomon to go in a direction that was not God's will. Solomon gave preference to his wives over doing what is right. It started small. It started small, but it grew large. Really large. I mean, 700 wives and 300. You'd have to have name tags. (laughs) Hello, my name is, oh yeah, oh yeah. You're so-and-so. Where are you from again? Yeah, that's right. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, you're in chapter 11. Flip back to chapter 4 and look at something else here. The illustrations of Solomon's compromise in chapter 4 are subtle, but they give us a little bit of insight as to why he would allow his wives to turn his heart away. Chapter 4, look down at verse 7. Solomon had 12 deputies over all Israel who provided for the king and his household. Each man had to provide for a month in the year. And then if you were to read on down through verse 19, you would see those deputies mentioned. Now, in your annual Bible reading program, if you read the Bible or when you remember reading 1 Kings 4 about Solomon's deputies, uh, you kind of read this list and go, "Mm, hmm, ho-hum, that's pretty dull. And it is, until you trace these places on a map. If you were to trace these places on a map, you'd notice something very interesting. All of these deputies were in the northern part of Israel. Solomon did not require Judah to provide for him. He made all the other tribes do it. Now, how do, you make, how do you think that's going to make all the other tribes feel? Solomon's own tribe, his family, didn't have to pay. But all the other tribes, the northern tribes, had to pay. You think that's going to endear them to King Solomon? Not at all, not at all. He had 12 administrative districts with a deputy responsible to provide for the king's household for a month, and the deputies were not from Judah. You know, when Solomon died and his son Rehoboam took the stage, we won't read in chapter 12, but you're familiar with that passage where Rehoboam goes to Shechem, and they all come to Rehoboam and say, hey, your, your father Solomon was hard on us. In other words, he taxed us. And he didn't tax, you know, Judah, but he taxed us. Lighten up and we'll serve you. And Rehoboam decides, you know, I'm going to be even tougher than my father, and it splits the nation. So the, the split that happened wasn't just Rehoboam's fault. It was Solomon's fault. Solomon's divided heart and he didn't do what was right and what was ethical uh, or equal among all the tribes. And that also shows his propensity to give favor to his wives. He gave favor to Judah, to his family, he gave favor to his wives, to his family. And it, it led his heart away from doing what was right. And it divided the nation. Um, I read a, uh, an Alabama chief named Bob Arnt, he was the chief jailer in Alabama in a particular town. And he and some other deputies were sitting in a parking lot when they saw this this Cadillac DeVille drive up with a child driving, a four-year-old, standing in the seat driving. And next to him was his uncle. Turns out what was happening is the uncle had his foot over on the, the gas pedal and the brake and had the child driving to the police station and the police you know the chief jailer is sitting out front, sees this guy and drive up and all his deputies see it. Turns out what was happening is that this man didn't want to get in trouble by driving to the jail to pick up his license. So he let his, <laughs> he let his grandson, his four-year-old grandson, Drive. You thought it would be okay to, to let that happen. Well, he was charged with allowing a minor to drive. He was charged with reckless endanger, endangerment and failing to use a child restraint. All misdemeanors. All misdemeanors. You know, I, I read that story and I thought that's a small example of how we try to work the system, of how we try to compromise and uh, uh, not get caught. We live in a culture of compromise, don't we? Solomon did too. And Solomon contributed to that by giving favor to his own tribe, by giving favor to his wives, as opposed to saying, look, this is what's right, and this is what we're going to do. But he didn't do that. We read it earlier, but listen to the verse again. Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Let me ask you a question, and I ask it of myself as well. Do you have any exceptions in your love for the Lord? No doubt you love the Lord. No doubt you love the Lord. But do you have any exceptions? Early on, Solomon answered, great, give me wisdom. And God said, that's great, but wisdom isn't enough. It also takes obedience. God came to Solomon at key points of vulnerability, and because God is sovereign, I believe he's doing the same in our lives this morning. We're all vulnerable. Um, Hopefully we realize we are. But God comes to us in points of vulnerability and says, wisdom isn't enough. You go to a great church, you get a lot of great content. You have access to the best study materials on the planet. You can go to a Bible bookstore and buy all manner of commentaries, concordances, encyclopedias. We can fill our head with so much truth, but wisdom isn't enough. What matters is not the knowing but the living it. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said to go baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I have commanded. That's not what he said. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded. Such a difference between learning and applying. We never outgrow the basics. We never outgrow the basics. We, we, We climb... Uh, we don't climb past them like a ladder on the r- like a rungs on a ladder. When we have our quiet time with God every day, it's not something that we do, we check off and we just move on and leave it behind. It is a foundation we build on. It's not a, a ladder we climb and leave. It is a foundation we build on top of. And if that foundation crumbles, everything in the rest of our life goes down. We never outgrow the basics. We can't allow our, our, uh, our Christianity to be the standard of our conduct, but Christ is. Our goal is not to be as godly as somebody else that you look up to. Our goal is to be like Christ. When we make anybody else our standard, we are lowering the bar. Jesus is our standard. If you think about it, Solomon never started out to build pagan shrines. If you go to Jerusalem today, you can stand uh, in an area called the City of David. It's the original Jerusalem. And there's an area that you can stand, you can look over the Kidron Valley and see uh, a, a, a city just opposite you called Silwan. It's on the Mount of Olives. And at the top of that hill is where Solomon built shrines to his wives' gods. And just opposite was the temple that he built within eyesight of each other. You've got these two competing structures. Amazing. Solomon compromised because he had a divided heart. Well, obviously, that's not what we want to do. We want to keep our heart strong and faithful to the one God. Interesting also in what we read about Solomon's compromise, that he compromised with his wealth, he compromised with his wives, and he compromised in his walk with God. Solomon literally wrote the book on wisdom in Proverbs. He literally wrote the book on marriage in Song of Solomon. He literally wrote the book on walking with God in Ecclesiastes, and yet yet he still laid an egg in all those areas. Because wisdom isn't enough. It takes application and obedience. Blaise Pascal wrote these words. He said, All the good maxims have been written. It only remains to put them into practice. Very insightful. Let's pray. Our gracious God... Thank you for showing us today that wisdom isn't enough, that our goal as we sit with our Bibles each day is not merely to learn something new, to glean an insight that gives us uh, intellectual stimulation, but our goal is to go through the content that the content may go through us. Our goal is not wisdom as an end of itself, but wisdom for application to life. Solomon's life reveals that sin tolerated, even a little bit, even a little exception, eventually becomes an idol embraced. So help us, Father, as we go through our day, as we go through the week before us, that when there is that moment that we know that there is a compromise in our words, in our actions, in our steps, in our thoughts, that we would say, Wait, Lord, help me do what I know is wise. Don't let me chase the exception like Solomon did. Our Lord Jesus said that he who is faithful with a little thing will also be faithful with much. So help us, Lord, to be faithful with the little things, to allow no splinter of compromise to enter our walk with you, but to stay faithful to you because we love you, because we want to give you glory, and we want our lives to matter for Jesus Christ. Help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, without exception. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.